Hey, Bible, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bible Y'all podcast for Wednesday, February 7th. Happy Rose Day, which is the first holiday of Valentine's Week and which celebrates giving away pretty flowers and not Rose from the Titanic movie, which, fine by me, Rose was the worst. Comedian Owen Benjamin does this whole bit about her. And if you never seen the movie, you ain't missed much, but the gist of it is, Rose is some kind of quasi-royalty and is engaged to the super wealthy Billy Zane who springs for her and her mama to cruise to America with him on the finest ship ever built. And for some reason, this first world problem makes her so sad she wants to jump overboard. But she's stopped by sketchy artist guy from steerage, Leonardo DiCaprio. So she spends all act two running around below decks with sketchy artist guy and avoiding her fiance until, spoiler alert, the boat sinks. She gets rescued and goes on to marry and have kids but sketchy artist guy dies in the North Atlantic. And according to Celine Dion, every night for the rest of her life, he's all she dreams about. And that had to be rough on her husband, that she's constantly obsessing over some dead street artist instead of him. But he puts up with it and works his fingers to the bone taking care of his family. Turns out, Rose has been sitting on this massive, priceless blue diamond that she could have sold and lifted her husband out of that menial tax cattle wage slavery where his boss treated him like a pack animal and everything hurt when he came home at night. But I doubt she ever said nothing. If he knew, he'd have probably said, listen, Rose, if you're not going to help us out with it, at least save it for our children so they won't have to work themselves to death like I do. But whatever you do, Rose, just promise me that at the very least, you won't throw it in the darn ocean. Anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, our reading for today is Exodus 26, 1 through 27, 21, Matthew 25, 1 through 30, Psalm 31, 1 through 8, and Proverbs 8, 1 through 11. So if y'all are ready, sometimes I wonder if I might not be reading too much into things. Nah, probably not. But before we get to the reading, let's me and the squad do a review of yesterday's study. Okay, so yesterday, on the 6th, in the Old Testament, we read Exodus 23, 14 through 25, 40. And God has given the law still. He says three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. The feast of unleavened bread, which is Passover. The feast of harvest, which is first fruits, And the feast of the ingathering. At those three times all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. He says thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread. Because leaven represents sin. Always has. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. And this was a pagan custom involved in the worship of some deity, but I don't know which. But it's also understood, by the Barnes commentary anyway, as a prohibition against cruelty, which it is. And Endicott says it also has to do with the symbolism of the thing that's supposed to nourish the sheep actually being used for its destruction. In that scenario, the mother sheep would be God, the milk is the Holy Spirit, or the Word of God, or the law, or all of those. And the kid is us and we would represent sin, or the world, or the devil. He says, Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way, and to bring thee into the promised land, which I think refers to the Holy Spirit, because it says he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. And when you get to the promised land, where all those pagan false god-worshipping tribes are right now, don't follow their gods. Seriously, I mean it. But guess what they do? 
In verse 28, he says, And I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before thee. This is figurative language, since no plague of hornets is actually mentioned in the narrative. But that would have been cool, though. God says, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, but little by little, because y'all need time to build your numbers up and to make enough weapons of war and train with them and stuff like that. If I run them all out now, before you're ready, then the land will become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against thee. Plus, God already knew they're going to wander for 40 years first. They don't know it yet, but he does. So there's no need to run anybody out just yet. He says the nation of Israel, the piece of land that God has chosen to set aside as his domain, as opposed to everywhere else, that is the domain of all the false gods, the boundaries are going to be from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, which is the Mediterranean, and from the desert, which is the wilderness of Shur and Paran, unto the river Euphrates. This is my yard. No other gods shall dwell in thy land. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. And in chapter 24, God says for Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel to come up here on the mountain and worship afar off. Only Moses is allowed to come near him. So Moses comes down off the mountain and writes down all the law he's got so far and tells all the people what the deal is. And everybody's like, oh yeah, absolutely, no problem. All the words which the Lord hath said, we will do. So he builds an altar and twelve pillars representing the twelve tribes of Israel and has them start doing burnt offerings. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar and then he read his book of the law out loud to everybody and the rest of the blood he sprinkled on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. And all the people reiterated how super duper obedient they were all going to be. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and seventy of the elders went up to the mountain, and they saw the God of Israel. And he was standing on something like a paved work of a sapphire stone. Not actual sapphire stone, but as it were, like sapphire stone. That qualifier indicates that whatever it was that they saw, they didn't really understand. And this was the best way they could describe it. So obviously a piece of the throne room, I think, or something heavenly anyway. And, as it were the body of heaven in his clearness. And I got nothing. No idea what that means. Some say he's just talking about the clear blue sky. But again, the phrase, as it were, means he's comparing it to the sky. So not the sky. Or he'd have just said the sky. Sapphires are also blue, so God likes blue, I guess. But that's the best I can do. Except to say, just because it's in a commentary, don't make it true. There's a ton of commentaries out there that were written to discredit the Bible rather than help explain it. So if you're using commentaries, be careful of that. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount, and I will give thee tables of stone, and a law, and commandments. And the Jews say the stone tablets are the Ten Commandments, but there could have been more than that. And I think what happens next is he sends the rest of them back down to handle the people, and he goes up alone, and sat there for a week before God showed up, and then sat there in the cloud that was like devouring fire. It wasn't fire, it was like devouring fire up there with God for 40 days and nights, like Noah. And in chapter 25, Chuck Missler likes to say that in addition to the Ten Commandments, Moses also should have come down after 40 days with a roll of engineering drawings under his arm. Because while he's up there, God gives him the specs for the tabernacle he wants him to build, and everything involved with it, and the Ark of the Covenant, and all the tools the priests use. And I'm reluctant to get into too much detail, because we'll just end up reading the whole thing again. But he tells him to gather freewill offerings from the people of all this fine, high-quality stuff, like gold and silver and brass and wool dyed blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen 
and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red, and badger skins and shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil and for sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate. And then he lays out the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof. And the rule of thumb is, there's nothing in the Bible that's there on accident, or extraneous, or doesn't mean anything. Every detail is going to somehow point to God and or Jesus or God's glory or something. So when he tells Moses to build an ark for the Ten Commandments, two cubits and a half by a cubit and a half by a cubit and a half, rest assured that means something. And there's been books written on the symbolism and typology in the temple construction, so y'all got to chase that down on your own. And by the way, if a cubit is 18 inches, the Ark of the Covenant was a box about 3 foot 9 by 2 foot 3 by 2 foot 3. Just about the right size to hold some stone tablets. And most all this stuff is made of gold, or overlaid with gold, and it all sounds like it's really nice stuff. And the Ark was also meant to be the seat on which God would sit while communing with Moses and the priests in the tabernacle. And the seat back was two cherubim with outstretched wings. And it was all to be beaten work, not carved or poured. Don't know why, but for some reason. And they got to make a table to put shoe bread on every day. And these big candlesticks of gold, bowls and plates, oil lamps, tongs to trim the wicks, and snuffers to put them out. And all this was to be one talent of gold, which is about 94 pounds. Probably meaning to say, no more, no less. And I don't know what that means either, but it's got to be something. But that's where we stopped reading. The Father in His kindness is showing us how to love Him as free men with our whole heart. This is for all former slaves, including us. And then in the New Testament, we read Matthew 24, 29-51. And Jesus is still given the Olivet Discourse. He's talking about the very end of the world and His second coming. He just told him about the tribulation. And then He says, Immediately after the tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And most people think this means the sun will literally be darkened, and that's what I think. I don't know what would cause that. Maybe nuclear fallout. Maybe it's Bill Gates' idiotic plan to spray baking soda in the atmosphere to blot out the sun, like some kind of cartoon supervillain. Maybe it's something supernatural. But it doesn't say the sun goes out, or that it goes totally dark, just that it's darkened. It doesn't even say how much. My point is, don't get too married to whatever preconceptions you have, because you might end up missing it when it actually happens. Other commentaries, however, say that the phrase, the sun be darkened, was colloquial for any great calamity. And again, I say if Jesus doesn't mean what he says, why doesn't he say what he means? But here we are. I say it's probably real signs in the heavens, because the next thing he says is, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with the sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. If that's the rapture, it seems to be taking place after the tribulation, which other passages would indicate it's before the tribulation. And that's not a contradiction, it just means they're not necessarily chronological. Maybe because he doesn't want us to have that particular piece of knowledge. He just wants us to know it's going to happen. Then he says, now learn a parable of the fig tree, which is usually representative of the nation of Israel. Says when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves. So when Israel begins to bud and come to life, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. And some folks say this is a reference to the regathering of Israel, which happened, or at least started to, in 1948. And when you see that happen, 
The generation that sees that shall not pass till all things be fulfilled. And the commentaries like to argue over how long a generation is, whether it's 20 or 30 or 40 years or whatever. But all that's wrong if that Israel thing is correct. I say, given how God seems to like to do things, waiting till the last minute and all, maybe out of all the babies born on May 13, 1948, Jesus has until the day the last one of those dies to return, based on the parameters he just set for himself, which, if you figure a hundred-year lifespan, give or take, that puts the second coming at 2048 max. And if the idea is it'll be 2,000 years from the resurrection, which was when Jesus was 33, and the 70th week of Daniel is seven years long, that puts his return, or the start of the trib maybe, somewhere around 2033, depending on how far off our calendar is. Or all that could be way, way off. It's pure speculation, so don't take my word for anything. I'm just a redneck beach bum who don't know nothing about nothing. And it's all futile anyway, because the very next thing he says is, Of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. Then he throws this one out. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And lots of Christians like to interpret that to mean the return of the Nephilim, probably disguised as space aliens, coming down as our intergalactic saviors and overlords or some such nonsense. And maybe the Navy did release a UFO video last year, and the fringe Christian community expects disclosure any minute. But I do not think that this is the proper interpretation of that scripture, because the context Jesus puts it in is how in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, just going about their business with no idea the flood was imminent, until it happened and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. If there is going to be a space booger invasion in the last days, a better verse to hang that on is Daniel's prophecy about iron mixed with clay. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. In verse 40 he says, In that day when he comes back, two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. So either that means one gets raptured out, or one just gets killed. I think rapture, but I don't know. Whatever. Bottom line, watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Always be ready. Don't be like some evil servant whose master's been away so long, he stops believing he's ever coming back, and starts to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken. That is not how you want to be found on that day. And for me, the point is, if we look for him every day, we stay on course. We have clarity to make decisions and overcome unprofitable emotions. We will be more likely to do what he has called us to do and not stop because we do want to be found by him in unity and occupying our post. Yeah, don't get all wrapped up in whether it's space aliens or not. <laughs> Just worry about the business of God. And in Psalms, we read Psalm 31 through 12. And that's a psalm and song at the dedication of the house of David. And David had a pretty fine house. And he's praising God for his blessings and protection. It says, O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. And verse 5 is pretty famous. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Bad things happen, but they're transient. The idea is our default state should be to rest in the joy of the Lord, which is permanent. Even though our joy will be punctuated by unhappiness as well as happiness, which are both temporary. Because happiness and joy are not the same thing. Like Rudyard Kipling says, to meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. In verse 9, he kind of gets a little snarky. He says, What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? 
Basically, he's saying, how am I supposed to praise you if you let me die and go to the pit? You want praise? Keep me alive, which is presumptuous, but okay. And verse 12 kind of sums it all up. To the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. David definitely has a genuine relationship with the Lord. And in Proverbs, we read Proverbs 7, 24-27. And Solomon's like, listen to me, I don't know how else to explain this. Wisdom is a good woman, but stupidity and falsehood and loving not the truth and worshiping false gods, all that may be a seductive harlot, but let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. For she hath cast down many wounded. Many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell. So the personification as women, wisdom and folly. Wisdom has no need to entice, but folly, that's all she has to offer. Smoke and mirrors, deception. She's an operative in the steal, kill and destroy be system. If wisdom is our sister, folly will have a hard time getting us alone. But that's the end of our review of yesterday's study. Thanks for your help, babe. Our reading in the Old Testament for February 7th is Exodus 26, 1 through 27, 21. Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen, and blue and purple and scarlet. With cherubims of cunning work shalt thou make them. The length of one curtain shall be eight and twenty cubits, and the breadth of one curtain four cubits. And every one of the curtains shall have one measure. The five curtains shall be coupled together one to another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled one to another. And thou shalt make loops of blue upon the edge of the one curtain from the selvage in the coupling. And likewise shalt thou make in the uttermost edge of another curtain, in the coupling of the second. Fifty loops shalt thou make in the one curtain, and fifty loops shalt thou make in the edge of the curtain that is in the coupling of the second, that the loops may take hold one of another. And thou shalt make fifty tatches of gold, and couple the curtains together with the tatches, and it shall be one tabernacle. And thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair, to be a covering upon the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shalt thou make. The length of one curtain shall be thirty cubits, and the breadth of one curtain four cubits. And the eleven curtains shall be all of one measure. And thou shalt couple five curtains by themselves, and six curtains by themselves, and shalt double the sixth curtain in the forefront of the tabernacle. And thou shalt make fifty loops on the edge of the one curtain that is outmost in the coupling, and fifty loops in the edge of the curtain which coupleth the second. And thou shalt make fifty tatches of brass, and put the tatches into the loops, and couple the tent together, that it may be one. And the remnant that remaineth of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remaineth, shall hang over the back side of the tabernacle, and a cubit on the one side, and a cubit on the other side of that which remaineth in the length of the curtains of the tent. It shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side, to cover it. And thou shalt make a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red, and a covering above of badger skins. And thou shalt make boards for the tabernacle of shittim wood standing up. Ten cubits shall be the length of a board, and a cubit and a half shall be the breadth of one board. Two tenons shall there be in one board, set in order one against another. Thus shalt thou make for all the boards of the tabernacle. And thou shalt make the boards for the tabernacle, twenty boards on the south side southward. And thou shalt make forty sockets of silver under the twenty boards, two sockets under one board for his two tenons, and two sockets under another board for his two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, there shall be twenty boards, and there forty sockets of silver, two sockets under one board, and two sockets under another board. And for the sides of the tabernacle westward, thou shalt make six boards. 
and two boards shalt thou make for the corners of the tabernacle in the two sides, and they shall be coupled together beneath, and they shall be coupled together above the head of it unto one ring. Thus shall it be for them both, they shall be for the two corners, and they shall be eight boards, and their sockets of silver, sixteen sockets, two sockets under one board, and two sockets under another board. And thou shalt make bars of shittim wood, five for the boards of the one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the side of the tabernacle, for the two sides westward. And the middle bar in the midst of the boards shall reach from end to end. And thou shalt overlay the boards with gold, and make their rings of gold for places for the bars. And thou shalt overlay the bars with gold. And thou shalt rear up the tabernacle according to the fashion thereof which was shewed thee in the mount. And thou shalt make a veil of blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twined linen of cunning work. With cherubims shall it be made. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of shittim wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. And thou shalt hang up the veil under the tatches, that thou mayest bring in thither within the veil the ark of the testimony. And the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And thou shalt set the table without the veil, and the candlestick over against the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. And thou shalt put the table on the north side, and thou shalt make an hanging for the door of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen, wrought with needlework. And thou shalt make for the hanging five pillars of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, and their hooks shall be of gold, and thou shalt cast five sockets of brass for them. Chapter 27 And thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horns shall be of the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. And thou shalt make his pans to receive his ashes, and his shovels, and his basins, and his flesh hooks, and his fire pans. All the vessels thereof thou shalt make of brass. And thou shalt make for it a grate of network of brass. And upon the net shalt thou make four brazen rings in the four corners thereof. And thou shalt put it under the compass of the altar beneath that the net may be even to the midst of the altar. And thou shalt make staves for the altar, staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with brass. And the staves shall be put into the rings, and the staves shall be upon the two sides of the altar to bear it. Hollow with boards shalt thou make it, as it was shewed thee in the mount, so shall they make it. And thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle, for the south side southward there shall be hangings for the court of fine twine linen of an hundred cubits long for one side. And the twenty pillars thereof, and their twenty sockets shall be of brass. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And likewise for the north side in length there shall be hangings of an hundred cubits long, and as twenty pillars, and their twenty sockets of brass, the hooks of the pillars and their fillets of silver. And for the breadth of the court on the west side shall be hangings of fifty cubits, their pillars ten, and their sockets ten. And the breadth of the court on the east side eastward shall be fifty cubits. The hangings of one side of the gate shall be fifteen cubits, their pillars three, and their sockets three. And on the other side shall be hangings fifteen cubits, their pillars three, and their sockets three. And for the gate of the court shall be an hanging of twenty cubits, of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen, wrought with needlework. And their pillars shall be four, and their sockets four. All the pillars round about the court shall be filleted with silver. Their hooks shall be of silver, and their sockets of brass. The length of the court shall be an hundred cubits, and the breadth fifty everywhere and the height five cubits of fine twine linen, and their sockets of brass. All the vessels of the tabernacle and all the service thereof 
and all the pens thereof, and all the pens of the court, shall be of brass. And thou shalt command the children of Israel, that they bring thee pure oil olive beaten for the light, to cause the lamp to burn always. In the tabernacle of the congregation without the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall order it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever unto their generations on the behalf of the children of Israel. And our reading in the New Testament for February 7th is Matthew 25, 1-30. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time the Lord of those servants cometh, and reckoned with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo there, thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And our reading in Psalms for February 7th is Psalm 31, 1-8. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock, for an house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me. 
for thou art my strength. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities, and hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. And our reading in Proverbs for February 7th is Proverbs 8, 1 through 11. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of high places by the way, in the places of the paths. She crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in at the doors. Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of man. O ye simple, understand wisdom, and ye fools, be ye of an understanding heart. Hear, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing froward or perverse in them. They are all plain to him that understandeth, and right to them that find knowledge. Receive my instruction, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. And that's got it for the seventh. Okay, y'all, let's do our 30-second meditation. Today's prayer is about Genesis 22:8, which says, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. So hit the 30-second back button on your podcast player a few times and meditate with me for a little while on what else happened on that mountain. Because prayer is the heavy artillery in the armor of God. So if you're ready, let's go. Father God, when you asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac, you had already told him that Isaac would be the father of a multitude. Rather than be confused by this, Abraham didn't hesitate, for he had faith that you could resurrect Isaac and the understanding that you would provide a replacement. He was acting out prophecy, for years later, on that very spot, you sacrificed your son to redeem us and atone for our sins. We praise you for that, Lord as we watch in earnest for your coming in the clouds. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, that's all the Bible yawning I got for you tonight. Thank you, Father, for letting us study your word and for the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Please bless and keep everybody listening and let this podcast be of some kind of help to them. Amen. You can find us on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Google, CastBox, and Facebook, but not Apple or Twitter. If you like Bible Y'all and you want to support it, best thing y'all can do is to pray for me and Bible Y'all Squall and all our friends and family. And if you got any prayer requests, email them to me at BibleYallPodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, just go on out and try to make the world a better place. And if you can't make things any better, just try not to make them any worse. Thanks, everybody, and God bless y'all. Hey, Bible Y'all. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity. Ooh, I was supposed to stop at verse 8. Overshot that one.